morning. Today we're going to be in Colossians 3, uh, going through verses 1 through 17. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, go ahead and turn there. If you do not have a Bible, there should be some uh, under your seats, or the seats in front of you. Uh, last time I was here, we talked about the resurrection uh, from Luke 24. We talked about how Jesus is really raised from the dead. This isn't just something uh, that we like to talk about that isn't true, but Jesus is truly raised from the dead. And because of that, we can know that we will be too. We have a resurrection hope. We know that because Jesus is raised from the grave, he will raise us up with him. Um, and as we, or as I uh, look through this text, after I had already chosen it, I realized that this is just the, um, the outflow of what we believe about the resurrection. So, before I tell you more about it, let's just read it. Colossians 3, 1-17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, this is verse 14, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray and ask God to, uh, through me, give a word that would transform our hearts and not just be new information. 
Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace to us. Thank you for um, drawing us together as a community that seeks you and loves you. I pray, Lord, um, that your word um, just go forth today and that we would be changed as a community because of it. Lord, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, title of the sermon is Heaven is Here. Um, so, I want to ask you guys a question. Who's heard of the Garden of Eden and Henry Cowell? Heard of it? How many of you have been there? Um, I think it's really cool. I love the Garden of Eden and Henry Cowell. Um, but I don't think it quite fits the bill. <laughs> Especially if you've been there in the summer. Um, I, again, it's neat. It's nice. I'm like, Garden of Eden? God's perfect place? I think if you've been there, you'll probably agree with me. It doesn't quite fit the bill. Um, I looked on, on Google. I just typed in Heaven on Earth. Um, and I was shocked to find that the first uh, search results were businesses. So you have Heaven on Earth weddings. Heaven on Earth, um, Heaven on Earth, hair and makeup, that's what it was. Heaven on Earth, hair and makeup. And Heaven on Earth, house cleaners. So I don't know about you, can attest to their qualities. Hopefully we don't get an angry email afterward about, you know, giving them a bad name. But I don't think they fit the bill. Might be really nice hair and makeup. Might be a nice wedding venue. Uh, might leave your house incredibly clean. But heaven on earth? Like, sh surely heaven's got to be better than that, right? Um, what about food? So many of you have probably heard food described as uh, heavenly, which is interesting because people also uh, describe food as sinful. So <laughs> not sure which one to go with there, but... Um, I mean, like, I love a good dessert. I'm trying to eat healthier, so I'm trying to see that dessert as less beautiful. But I love a good dessert, but I don't know if I could call it like heaven. Right? So heaven is a place that we, we don't just talk about it in the church. People are talking about it outside the church. People are thinking about it outside the church. Um, an Oxford uh, University study just came out. Uh, it says, humans are predisposed to believe in a God and an afterlife. So uh, that's something that the Bible talks about in Romans 1. Uh, basically, the law of God, the truth of God, the reality of God, it's written on all of our hearts. And not only is the Bible telling us this, but our own experience is telling us this. And Oxford University, the smart people, are telling us this. Um, I feel like kids normally ask, you know, what happens when I die? Not, does anything happen when I die? That's because this reality of heaven and God is written on our hearts. So we all have an idea of what heaven is like. It's just the reality. Again, Oxford said it. God said it. We all understand it. Heaven is written on all of our hearts. So my question is, what do you think heaven is like? Um, if it's not the uh, house cleaners, if it's not the Garden of Eden, and if it's not our desserts, what 
is heaven on earth. What is heaven like? So what if I told you heaven on earth is kind of like Santa Cruz Baptist Church? You might be really skeptical. I was joking with Ross earlier. I said, you ruined my building or my sermon illustration because at our work day, uh, we filled these. Now they're not perfect, but you can see these uh, drywall. Thank you to everyone who came out to our work day yesterday. Um, they used to be these really, I'm sure they worked in some decade, but these like orange kind of faded glass stuff. I'm not in construction, so that's the best way I can describe it. But they weren't pretty. So you might be looking around and you say, heaven on earth here? Really? Like, I've seen the building. I know the people. If you know me, <laughs> you know, like, not heavenly, right? I am a sinner. I am flawed. So you would rightly be really skeptical. Now maybe, uh, maybe some other churches, too, are, are much more, uh, or at least their building is much more heavenly. Uh, than we are, but what I want to say this morning is that the church, and I'm not just going to say it, Santa Cruz Baptist Church itself, but local churches and the universal church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth. Now, some of you may have been truly and deeply hurt by a church in the past. I want to tell you that um, I weep with you. I mourn with you. The reality is, is that churches sometimes don't look very much like heaven. They don't act very much like heaven. So, I weep with you. There's, there's no excuse for that. If you've ever been treated with anything other than the spirit of Jesus in the church of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm sorry. But I want to ask you to, uh, to you, uh, dream with me for a minute uh, as we look at the scriptures and see what uh, the church should be like. Um, and maybe think about how we can reverse maybe that trend, if that's been a trend uh, in your experience, uh, through following what the scriptures have to say. So Colossians 3 tells us that God's, um, God's intention for it to for the church is to be an uh, image of heaven. Maybe it's dim, maybe it's fuzzy or blurry, but heaven nonetheless. So as we walk through this text, I'm going to show why and where Paul is saying that the church should be like this. This isn't just my idea, but this is what Paul is saying uh, in the scriptures. And we're also going to look at how we as the church can live this out together. So, to begin, uh, in the first four verses, we see that there is a heaven, heavenly reality to God's people. Verse three, or verse one says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are not. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul's challenging the Colossians to live now in the manner in which they will live in the, fu in the future resurrection. Or to live out the new heavens and the earth now. We're supposed to seek our future home today. 
Because from Luke 24, we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection of Christ is true. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we know, Paul says, that if Christ is raised from the dead, we'll be raised with him. Right? Those things are reality. They're not questionable. They're certain. How do we know this? Well, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. This future reality is already true. It's already a certainty. Paul's not saying, um, if you maybe get raised with Christ one day, if you're lucky. Right? He's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. The reality of the resurrection demands that Christians live resurrection lives. So, we're going to be in heaven one day, but we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth one day, and our lives then are going to be heavenly. We're going to be perfect. There's going to be no pain, no sin, no suffering, just eternal and glorious exaltation of Christ. Right? But what Paul's saying here, if you look at the text, he's saying that, why wait? Right? If we've been raised with Christ, if we've been given the Holy Spirit, and we can live lives in holiness and obedience, why wait? Live that way now. And as we do so, the church, the gathered people of Christ, becomes an image to the world of what God is like and what heaven is like. I love verse 3. It says, And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So this is the idea of union with Christ. Believers are unified with Christ. Um, what does that mean to be unified with Christ? Well, first, it's a, a good kind of broad definition is that everything that belongs to Christ becomes ours when we place our faith in Him. So think about the gospel, the reality that Christ died, was buried, and raised again for our salvation. Christ received um, the stamp of approval from the Father. He gave up his life. We didn't give our lives up. We didn't live the perfect life. But Christ did. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Christ, we are unified with him and we receive all of his benefits. Because we've received all of his benefits, we are safe. We're secure. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Let that sink for a moment. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. As secure as Christ is in God the Father, so are you when you place your faith in Him. I don't know about you, but you may have gone through seasons where you're doubtful about your standing with God. Maybe you sin a lot. Hidden with Christ and God by faith. And I really want to make sure we grab this idea because as we move through this text, it would be really easy for us to think we're right with God based off of how well we put, we put off the bad stuff and put on uh, the good stuff. But there's a reason why Paul spends this uh, time, these first four verses, to emphasize that we are in Christ. We're unified with Him. 
This is the gospel. The gospel uh, is the foundation for which Paul's going to say, okay, now go live a holy life. Um, just as we're unified with Christ and receiving his benefits, we're also unified uh, with Christ in his holiness. So Christ is perfectly holy, and he calls us to be holy as well. So if we're to be like Christ in what we've received in the uh, stamp of approval, God, acceptance, through faith, we should also be like Christ in holiness. So, let's grab that. This is the, the gospel is the foundation for everything we're about to say for how we should believe. We are not going to be made right with God based off of what we put off and what we put on. Um, but, Christ calls us to live like Him in holiness. So verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So these are the words that we're supposed to put off. Why? How, how can we put these off? Well, verse 3 tells us, for we've died. We've died to these things. So we're able to put them off. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, In these two you once walked when you were living in them. Past tense, notice. Once walked when we were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So if you notice, the first list, if you look at your Bible, are considered individual sins. These are sins that um, may not be as public as other ones. They're more vertical between us and God. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. The second list in verse 8 um, are considered communal sins. Maybe these are, these are things that were uh, sins or committing against each other. Being angry with someone, being wrathful, having malice, slandering someone, talking obscenely. Paul says we're supposed to put all of them away, not just the public ones, but the private ones as well. So I want to ask a question, and I think this is the question that the text asks, is why is this necessary? If you've lived the Christian life for any time at all, you get that holiness is hard. We want to live for ourselves. This is hard work. So why, why do it? Why do it? Why be holy? Well, holiness or obedience, it's kind of when I say holiness, I mean obedience to Christ's commands. Uh, obedience is faith. So, faith is, I believe, it's trusting in something. And a long time ago, I heard this definition of faith from a pastor named David Head um, in San Clarita, where some of you guys <laughs> are coming from. Um, and he says, faith is the un or life-dominating conviction that all God has for us through obedience is better by far than anything uh, the world or Satan can offer us through selfishness or sin. So again, that's kind of a long de definition, but let's narrow it down to obedience is believing that what God has for us through obedience is actually good. He's not just some harsh taskmaster that is giving us this list of things to do, maybe so you can look up in the sky and be like, <laughs> what are they actually doing? 
He's not this harsh taskmaster that wants to test us and to see if we really love him by giving us this arbitrary uh, list of things to do. No. He's given us things for our good. So obedience is faith. It's believing in God. Obedience is also joy. Think about it. When we truly obey a good father, a loving father, this is a joyful thing. When you know you have a certain love for the person you are obeying or listening to, maybe it's an employee or a player, maybe it's a father, maybe it's a coach, when you believe in them and believe that they're good and they're seeking your good, obedience is joy. So as we seek to live holy lives, we should see God as a good father, not a harsh taskmaster. And finally, obedience is a display. So when we live holy lives, the world around us is going to see that holy life, and they're going to see Christ as attractive. The Christian life is going to be seen as a good thing, not something that only hypocrites are about so they can feel better about themselves, but it's going to be a display to the world. Paul calls the church or Peter calls the church uh, the temple in uh, 1 Peter. So he says that we are called to be a spiritual house. And what he's doing is he's getting at the idea that when the, when the world looks at the church, that's, that's who God is to them. I'm not sure who said this, but um, it's been said that you, Christian, may be the only Bible an unbeliever ever reads. What does that mean? Well, as a Christian, some of our lost friends, they're not going to pick up a Bible. But they know you. They'll look at your life. And they'll know, oh, that person's a Christian. That's what Jesus is like. So our obedience is a display. So, obedience, I hope we've understood, is worth it. It's not arbitrary. It's not something that we do just because. But God actually has a good plan for us. I want to, real quick, um, give a list of reasons to obey. Um, so those are some primary reasons, but there's just so many more. This comes from uh, Kevin Young's book, The Whole in Our Holiness, which I'm reading with some of these guys up here. A uh, really good entry-level book. You just want to figure out, how am I supposed to be holy? How can I do this? But Kevin Young says it's our duty. He says... God knows and sees all. And these are all coming from direct verses in Scripture. It's for our good. God gave us an example. Christ gave us an example. Gives us eternal assurance. Helps us be effective as Christians. Um, it's what we do while we wait for Jesus to return. It's because the world is not our own. We do it to win over our neighbors. We do it for the good of the civilization. We do it for the sake of our prayers. Uh, we do it because sin is futile and folly. It's attractive, but there's nothing lasting in it. Um, we do it because of the promise of future grace and future judgment. We do it because we were created for good works. That's what Ephesians says. We do it because we are God's servants. We do it for the fear of the Lord. For the glory of God.
with the love of God? Do you do it to help the world see God? In gratitude for grace, we do these things. We do it to please God. We do it to avoid the devil's tricks. We do it for an eternal reward. We do it because Christ has all authority. We do it because of our love for Christ. We do it out of the fullness of our joy. So hopefully we've seen that holiness, obedience, is worth our time. The scriptures call us to be holy. Call us. They call us to obey our good Father. Now Paul moves on uh, to how we can live this out in the Christian community. So, if you look to verse 11, Paul says, Here, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. So, union with Christ, which we've said we earlier through faith, means union with Christ's people. You can't just say like, yeah, I love Christ, but not about his people. Or some of these people over here, like, you can't do that. If we're unified with Christ, we're unified with Christ's people. Um, it's similar to saying you love someone, but you like, hate their wife or their kids. Or you can't. You can't do that. Like, that doesn't work. That's not true unity. It's a false unity. So let's think um, about what some of these uh, barriers, these were barriers in the world, uh, Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, etc. What are, what are some in our world? Well, I think race is one of them. The gospel calls us to be unified to people with different racial and ethnic backgrounds. That requires listening. That requires understanding. That requires us to let our allegiances outside the church down so that we can be unified. Social class. We are unified as Christ's people. So certain social boundaries, they fall down. Because in the church, we are one under Christ. And economic standing. Maybe you normally wouldn't hang out with a certain crowd because they have more or less than you. Those barriers fall down in the church. Political preferences. In our world today, you disagree, you're silenced on either side. Okay? Those boundaries in the church, they come crashing down by the gospel. You see, out there, when we step out those doors, all those, all those boundaries, those barriers, they exist. They're real. But when we step in the church, those barriers, those uh, locked doors are shattered down. Through what? Through the reconciling, unifying work of Christ on the cross. And I believe as we grow in holiness and as we continue to be shaped more into the image of Christ, 
Do we continue to look as a community more like heaven? That the world will see that display and see what Christ is really like. And it will help them to come to faith in him. The word unified as Christ's people. Now we're called to put things on. I love this imagery. It's put off and put on, right? We put off bad stuff. We can't just put on, put on more bad stuff. It's not going to get us anywhere. I'm sure many of you who have, have kids have kids that can be uh, unclean with bad hygiene. Maybe they've tried to uh, not take the shower, you know, and just put on more clothes out of the hamper because they don't know what to do. Right? They're not gonna be they're not gonna be any cleaner. You can't be clean by putting on dirty clothes. So we have to have something good that comes on after the bad stuff comes off. We have to have good things to come on. A lot of times we think that holiness and obedience to Christ is a type of thing where, you know, it's a list of things we, we can't do. A lot of a lot of people had this uh, picture of the church maybe growing up. Um, a lot of people have it now, where obedience, holiness to God is not doing certain things. It's not drinking, it's not smoking, it's not getting tattoos, all those things. Obviously I'm giving you caricatures, right? But holiness is more than not doing certain things. It's doing good things. So it's not just putting off the bad, but it's putting on the good. So what are the good. Compassionate hearts we're supposed to put on. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Also calls us to put on these things. And before we skip over it, look, we're supposed to put these on as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. So before you think of Christ as that harsh taskmaster, realize the impetus for doing this is what? God's chosen ones. Holy and loved. We place our faith in Him. He's a good Father, church. Gives us good rules. His commands, First John says, are not burdensome. So as chosen, holy, and loved ones, we have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So this is the life we're supposed to live out together in community. One thing that uh, our Bibles don't translate very well is plural use. So, almost all the time when you read an epistle, Paul or Peter is writing to the churches, when you see you, it's really a y'all. Or if you're from California like I am, it's you guys. Right? This isn't just stuff we do isolated in these pockets. We're supposed to do it together. But if you look back at this text later, Say, say y'all, or at least teach yourself, you guys, right? This is what's happening. It's not just 
we, we hunker down and we try really hard to be compassionate and kind, humble on our own. No, we do this together. Because if you've tried to live the Christian life on your own for any time at all, you realize it can't be what we're made for. Right? But we have a church. If you remember here at Santa Cruz Baptist Church, you've covenanted together with the other members to live this life that Paul's getting, giving us. Verse 14 says, Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love that perfect harmony. Like, does anything sound more like heaven on earth than perfect harmony? Hmm. This is life that Paul calls us to. It's not a burdensome life. It's hard, yes, but it is worth it. You would flip with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe familiar? The love chapter. I want to read this. I want to read it slowly so we can see what this life of love should look like. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Now, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and find all faith, so as to remove mountains that have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver on my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This life of love is what we've been called to as the church. Paul says, above all these things, put on love. Jonathan Edwards said, if your heart is full of love, it will find a vent. <laughs> I love that. It will find a vent. You will find or make ways enough to express your love in deeds. How do you express love to one another? Well, first, you've got to be around them. You're not going to be able to live this life of love that Paul's calling us to um, by kind of just doing it passively. Now, we have to let our hearts resound and abound with the love of Christ. And when we do so, it will find vent. It will. So... Practically speaking, that means we to love others like we have to love Christ. Uh, this is this means really disciplining ourselves to see the glory of God in the Scriptures. Again, if if you live the Christian life for any time at all, you know that this does not happen passively. Um, speaking from experience, when we get passive. That's when we step backwards. That's where we don't put on love. But when we actually see Christ and seek to love His people, 
actively, proactively, that's when this life that Paul describes uh, become ours. So how might we actually go about doing this practically? It's really neat to talk about these things, but how might we do it practically? What in our lives can actually change as a result of what Paul said to us here? Well, he gives us very specific instructions in verse 16 and 17 and even 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. We have a, a few things. We're, we're called to be thankful people. This is how Paul says we might practically love one another. I don't know about you, but when I'm thankful for the congregation, the people around me, I, I love them. And I'm not treating them with anger. I'm not speaking harshly to one another. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, another one. When we gather as a church, we're not just singing to a screen, we're singing to each other. We're singing to those we've befriended in the community. We're not just singing to a projector, we're singing to God and to each other. Finally, Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So maybe you're here this morning uh, and you're, you're not sure how to live out this life in the context of community. Um, I would just say, dive into the church. Get to know someone. Even just one person. Get to know someone. Find ways where you can love, encourage, Another application would be to sing. When we're singing, realize that we're singing to each other. These are all things that uh, we can do to express our love and to live these holy lives in the context of community. Maybe, maybe you're really busy. You have four kids, maybe more. I don't know, but it's just hard, right? Call someone. Like, take whatever you can do and vent out your love. Jonathan Edwards. Um, I encourage you, like, that's worship. You know, you have the picture of uh, financial stewardship uh, where the widow gave her two cents, right? That's all she had. Maybe that's you. Maybe you don't have hours to give. Maybe you don't have a night to give to be part of a small group, but give what you have and know that that is worship. So this life that we've been called to, it's a good life, and it's a life um, that we can find joy in. It's a life that comes from our faith and is a display to the world. So uh, there's going to be a picture coming out. I want to play a game before we close. Um, Anyone know what this is? 
no. Bunch of pixels, right? <laughs> Bunch of pixels. Okay. Uh, let's try again. Yes. Yeah. 